The test of fellowship. And I would like to start by reading a few words from a short letter to you, uh, which is a real letter. And I want to listen very carefully. Quote, Our dear leader, Pastor E.N. How are you? We wish to be strong in all these problems we are now facing. We wish to inform you that we have heard that tomorrow we will be killed with our families. We therefore request you to intervene on our behalf and talk with the mayor. We believe that with the help of God who entrusted you the leadership of this flock, which is going to be destroyed, your intervention will be highly appreciated, the same as when the Jews were saved by Esther. We give honor to you. End of quote. This letter was sent by a group of seven Tutsi Adventist pastors to a Hutu Seventh-day Adventist pastor who served as the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in that region of Rwanda on the day of April, Friday, 1994. The answer to the plea came next morning, Sabbath, when almost 3,000 Tutsis who gathered in the compounds of the Adventist mission lost their lives some 2,000 inside the Seventh-day Adventist Church itself. In total, an estimated 10,000 Seventh-day Adventists died in Rwanda in barely three months. The genocide in Rwanda is probably one of the darkest chapters of the 20th century. In a hundred days, almost 800,000 people from Tutsi group, moderate Hutu, and other ethnic background lost their lives. Almost a million people killed. Yet, in 1994, Rwanda at that time was one of the world's most Christian nations. Over 90% of the entire population were professing believers. More than 10% of its population were baptized as Seventh-day Adventists. And actually the church leaders at that time described Rwanda as the most Adventist country in the world. That's why 3,000 people, as I have read earlier, fled to an Adventist site. The greatest tragedy of this genocide, from my point of view, 
as it was to be discovered some months later, was the fact that Adventists were not only among the victims. There were church-going people seen in the mobs cheering those who did the killings. And according to one high-level church official, not only lay members, but numerous pastors and leaders have been found guilty. Some Adventists maintain their Adventism by scrupulously resting from killing on Sabbaths. How was this possible? This is history. What I've just told you are facts. And history has a strange way of repeating itself for those who don't learn its lessons. And on this occasion, I felt inspired to talk about the community of the church, about us, to talk about what does it mean to be brothers and sisters in Christ, as we call each other, and ultimately to ask ourselves personally, where are we in this test of fellowship? My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to give his own life for his friends. What makes us a community of Christ? What makes us to call each other brothers and sisters in the church? The same doctrine, the same teaching of the Bible, the truth about Sabbath, about the second coming, about the judgment, the same hope in a better world, the same belief in Jesus. But my question this morning is, when looking at history, are these things enough? Are these excellent things in themselves, are these truths enough for us to have a real fellowship in our churches? You see, for many years as a worldwide church, we have pushed hard in our evangelistic meetings and projects. We have pushed hard on the intellectual side of the truth of our belief. And in all the evangelistic campaigns, even today, things which are good in themselves, we have pushed hard on the truth, the doctrine about the Sabbath, the judgment, the second coming, the state of the dead, etc. And because of this, praise God, large numbers of people became members of the church community. And praise God for that. But you see, Quantity doesn't automatically bring also quality. 
We can be members in the right church, in the right place. We can have the correct doctrine in theory. We can worship in the right day and still we can be far from conversion in our hearts. We can be members in the church, in the church book for years, some of us for decades, old and experienced in faith, yet babies in practical Christianity. So how do we know, how do I know personally where we stand? Because we need to examine ourselves to see if we are in faith or not. And as we have read, Jesus gave us the answer. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to give his life for his friends. And I would like us to think briefly this, uh, uh, these statements, maybe from a different, maybe original perspective today. And when I, when I thought about fellowship and brotherhood and uh, sisterhood in church and community, I, I reminded myself of David. And the brotherly love he had, well, the Bible says at least, not with his brothers and sisters by blood, but his brotherly love he had with who? You remember? Jonathan. And John, uh, I would like to read this verse this morning, so, such a beautiful verse, when um, David finds that Saul and Jonathan have been killed. He mourned even his greatest enemy. What a lesson for us. Second Samuel chapter 1. Second Samuel chapter 1 verse 26. Read from 25. How the mighty have, have, have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. And then verse 26, listen to the words and the pain. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were, NIV says, very dear to me. Uh, a most proper term translated from Hebrew says, you were my delight. You were my delight. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. So we see that it's possible, it is possible for such a love to exist on our planet, in our broken world. A divine love, a love which brought them together in a covenant for life and death, for better and for worse. Do we see such a brotherly love in our church community today? Should we see it? 
the Bible says we should and we can. Of course, in any community on this broken world, problems will appear. But what are we willing to do, is my question this morning. For each and every one, I want us to take this message personally. It's not for me to judge or for... This is a tough message because it's personal. What are we willing to do to bring peace and to keep the bond of love in our community? I had this experience some years ago when I, I served in, in Romania. And uh, I had a visit to this sister in church, quite an old sister. And uh, I knew some things about the situation, and uh, I tried to appease her, to make her... Because she had a conflict with a relative, a nephew from the church. And I went to visit, and talking to her about forgiveness, and communion was about to come soon, and uh, uh, the senior pastor had to, to bring it. And I was talking to her, and she was telling me again her complaint, that somehow she thought in her mind that her nephew, who was alive, was responsible for the illness and the development of illness of her son, who passed away in the end. And she was blaming this nephew of hers for what they did, him and others from the church, to, to her son. And I was talking, sister, yes, what? What, what was his fault? Yes, but we need to forgive, you know, we want to go together in heaven. And I will never forget these words all my life. She just said, I would rather go to hell than forgive, forgive him. And she was a member of the church. And then she had the communion. She wanted to have it. Her choice. I want you to think this morning, and I told you it's, a, it's as simple as, as tough, this topic, and it was for me, because no one is perfect, and we have to work a lot of these things. If you can't stand, if you can't stand flooring, or X or Y in the church because of a conflict, because of a tension, because of a quarrel. My question this morning for us, because we all profess to be Christians and Adventists, how will you live together as neighbors for eternity in heaven? Have you ever thought from this perspective? about the relationships in our churches. If, you, if we can't stand one another, if we can't uh, not to love deeply, as Jesus said, at least to respect, at least to greet, at least to listen, at least have some sort of level of fellowship in our church, but deep within our hearts, we know 
oh, I can't stand him because he's proud or what he did to me or conflict or because of a, a matter of difference of doctrine, of understanding. Brothers and sisters, how will we be able to live forever in heaven? That won't happen. That won't happen. This is what we confess. We, we believe these things, but we can't share the same space with someone in the church. And we say, yes, we believe in the second coming. We believe that we are saved. We believe the doctrine. But that's not the test. That's not the ultimate test. We are preparing in this church as a community, Sabbath after Sabbath. This is what we do. We prepare as a community, as a group family. We prepare as a community for the final event. We just rehearse Sabbath after Sabbath. And we prepare and we try to, to make it better, to live better, to interact better, to love one another better for the final event when God will bring us together in his kingdom. We are preparing in this church to live together forever in heaven. But if we can't accept one another, if we can't respect, listen, or care for one another now, in a time of peace and freedom, what will we be willing to do to one another in a time of crisis, brothers and sisters? And remember, in 1994, Rwanda was one of the most Christian and probably the most Adventist country in the world. A million people were slain, not only by non-believers or they were Christian with the name Hutu, uh, the Hutu ethnic group, but by Adventists, who at least they thought they were Adventists. They went to, they stopped on Sabbath from killings or from telling to the authorities, I know where they're hiding, I know where they are because of Sabbath, I, I'll stop today. When the sun is set, we will go back to our business. History has a funny and strange way to repeat itself. On which side will we land in the crisis ahead of us? Because we know a crisis is ahead of us as church. On what are we focusing? And I would like to, to read uh, a passage from um, the first episode to John. John again who was so, so touched by the example, by the love of Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 to 18. 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. He says here, this is how we know who the children of God and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. 
And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, verse 18, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You see, true fellowship doesn't happen overnight or over one Sabbath. True deep fellowship requires time, effort, willingness to be united, respect, sacrifice from each and every one of us. What is the test of fellowship? My commandment is this. Love one another as I have loved you. There is no greater love than someone to give his life for his friends. And John says here in verse verse 16 first John, John chapter 3 verse 16 this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we should lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters you see Jesus knew that before him and before uh, uh, before his disciples a crisis was coming soon he told them these words before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, his betrayal. And he wanted to prepare them. He wanted them to think of these things. He wanted them to, to think about the, the quality of their relationships in that small community of that time. If after three and a half years spent together, they were loving each other as brothers and sisters. He wanted to prepare them. He wanted to set an example for them. He was about to give his life for them. He offered his life for them when he told the, the guards in the garden, leave these, you have come after me, because they wanted to take them also. What did they do? What did they do? They just ran for their lives. Each and every one for their own lives. Even one of them betrayed the others. And Jesus. My brothers and sisters, this morning, when we're thinking that of, of the events we're living, we focus too much sometimes in our church on doctrine, understanding, and this and that. Things which are good in themselves. We will never get to the same opinion, the same understanding. Yes, the principles are the same. But the real test is this. 
when the crisis will come? On which size will it find you? Towards your brothers and sisters in church. Can we protect the others? We're thinking to protect others in the church from whatever persecution, from the authorities, from, uh, as we believe, or, um, other churches, Catholics, and as, as we, we believe, a time of persecution. My question this morning, can we protect the others from ourselves? Because we forget, in any crisis, the greatest enemy of human beings is our own self. Can you protect me from yourself? Can I protect you from myself? We are so sure in ourselves sometimes and we think we know each other. We think not only that we know each other, we think that we know ourselves personally but when a crisis comes as it was in the genocide of Rwanda there are only two parties you can't be in the middle and if there are things unresolved conflicts unresolved things in our heart unresolved between us in the church when a crisis comes it might be too late and we'll find ourselves surprised what we can do in order to preserve our life. This is my burden this morning. What is the test of fellowship? This day God wants you and me to ponder in our hearts this question. And it's a tough one for all of us. And I want you to look to your left now. Look to your right, look in front of you, looking back in the church. Think of your families, see the people in your church, those who believe different than you in the church, those to whom you, will have, you maybe have a quarrel, conflict, or a difference of opinion, you have a stressful time, some, some maybe in your heart whom you can't stand. Look at them, visualize them in your heart. My question this morning, and this is the test of fellowship, would you give your life to save them? If you take time to think, if you take time to ponder, if you're not sure, if I'm not sure, it means we are not ready. Would you give your life to save theirs? Think of your friends. I was at work this week and I was thinking, uh, putting stock on the shelves, and one of the managers said, oh, you're thinking, Florence. Yes, I'm thinking I need to give a speech in Plymouth. I said a speech in Plymouth on Saturday. And, oh, oh, will it be interesting? I said, yeah, the main thing I said, the main thing will be, would you give your life for your friends? And she thought and said, 
I don't think I'll give my life for all of my friends. What about for the other working colleagues here, the other managers? And she said, uh, nah. This is the test of fellowship, and it's simple, but it's tough and deep. Not only for those who love you, because Jesus said, if you love only those who love you, what reward do you expect? Pagans do the same. Yeah. Would you give your life to save an enemy? Or one you, who you see as an enemy? Not only from the church, the one you have a call, but maybe one of your neighbors, one of your family. Would you give your life to save someone else's life? Would you say in a crisis, someone has said, it's happened in lots of churches, uh, uh, there are stories, uh, real stories of instances like this within the church. Uh, we thank God for protection and freedom and liberty and for his, for his protection and blessing in this part of the world, in this country, where people have a hard time, you, know, you don't know what to expect in, even in London with stabbings and everything. Instances happen in, 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 the, in the church history, recent church history, in Christian churches, where gunmen went into a church and the pastor was preaching. And he said, the pastor, come here, you know, said, we won't kill the others. Are you willing to give your life for them? Or we came to pick this one and this one. And I want you to think this morning, this, this, this simple thing. If someone ever in a crisis in the future will say, I came to take him, and he will show to one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, in church, would you, would you say, would you have the strength to say, take me instead of him or of her? Would you lose your life together with them in a crisis if you have to stand for truth? Or we are so afraid to lose our lives. Because Jesus said, said, Jesus said, what a man, a man would give everything to save his life in this world. Everything. This is the most precious thing we have, our lives, our beings, our existence. Would you give your life to stand on the side of truth with your brothers and sisters in Christ? When the crisis will come, others didn't. Why? Because they were unconverted. And I say again, this is the test. This is the ultimate test of any Adventist church, of any community in Christ of any group of so-called brothers and sisters in Christ, would you give your life at any moment for anyone in your church? And if we still have doubts, it means we're not there yet. I would like to read you a quote. Uh, it's found in the book Desire of Ages. 
page 641. Desire of Ages, page 641. Listen to this. Love to man is the earthward manifestation of the love of God. It was to implant this love, to make us children of one family, that the King of glory became one with us. And when his parting words are fulfilled, love one another as I have loved you. When we love the world as he has loved it, then for us his mission is accomplished. We are fitted for heaven, for we have heaven in our hearts. Can we find such a love in our broken world today? Is it possible? Because some will say, oh, this is ideal. This is perfect. It's not possible, something like to have a love like Christ, to, to, to forgive like Christ, to in a crisis, to, to love someone so much. Is it possible? Real event. 6th of September, 2018. Amber Geiger, 31 years old, police officer in Dallas, United States, returns home after a long shift. She enters through the unlocked door and fatally sh shot Botham Jean, 28 years old, in the chest after mistaking him for a burglar. Moments after shooting, Officer Geiger realizes she is in the wrong apartment. A year later, 2nd of October 2019, Geiger is sentenced to 10 years in prison for the killing. And Brant Jean, Botham's brother of 18 years old, the one who was killed, witnessed the scene and the decision of the judge, uh, judges. And I would like to ask the guys now to show you something. Uh, the trial of the killer of his brother. This is what he declared. And uh, I would like us to listen to the video when we will see such a spirit of love and forgiveness in our churches, I truly believe great and marvelous things are ahead of us. I hope and pray that God will uh, make each and every one of us in this church, in Plymouth Church, to think about, about the test of fellowship and to live it in this church community and in the world. Amen.